With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey everyone, it's Sophia. Welcome to Work in Progress. Welcome back, Whip Smarties. This week's Work in Progress is particularly special and close to my heart. Not only because today's guest and I are going to talk about a movie we made together, but because today's guest happens to be one of my oldest friends, From my first job, you may remember a little show called One Tree Hill, and today we are joined by none other than Brian Greenberg. You may not know that Brian was born in Oklahoma, Nebraska, and then raised in St. Louis, Missouri. He graduated from NYU with a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and in his New York journey was on shows like Law & Order, booked his big screen debut in a civil action. He worked on several amazing TV series, including The Sopranos, also Boston Public and Third Watch. He came into my world via a wonderful movie called The Perfect Score, which led him to work on One Tree Hill and play our very favorite Jake Jigalski. He left us to go work on a show produced by none other than George Clooney for HBO, which we're all still a little sad about, but it's okay. He's gone on to make so many incredible films, like one of my very favorite rom-coms ever, Prime, and casually while doing all of this has released a number of albums. He is an incredible singer-songwriter. He also is a wonderful dad. He and his lovely wife, Jamie Chung, have two beautiful little boys. And Jamie happens to be in this incredible film with us as well. The film is called Junction. It is coming out in theaters Friday, January 26th. Junction chronicles the modern-day opioid crisis in America from three different points of view. 
the CEO of a pharmaceutical company, a doctor who prescribes the medications, and a patient who is addicted to them. Each character is going to have to come face to face with all of the decisions they've made, all of the complexities of their lives, and what their roles are in this epidemic. The movie is powerful and emotional and inspiring and at times scary and at times funny. Brian and I actually laughed a lot making this film and I'm just so excited to talk with him about it because not only does he star in it, not only did he direct it, he also wrote it. It's been a passion project of his for the last four years and I'm so proud to be a part of it. I'm so proud of him for getting it made and I'm sure like me, you have so many questions for him. So. Let's dive in and hear from Brian. Well, this feels really exciting. I can't believe that we're sitting here. You know, we just went to an event a couple weeks ago. It's uh, it's award season and, you know, everybody's out celebrating movies and and you posted that photo of us and you were like, our friendship is 20 years old. And I was like, oh my God, our friendship is almost old enough to order a beer in a bar. It's crazy. Our friendship could go to war for sure. Like what yeah. is happening? Our freshman, our, I mean, our yeah, our, our, our friendship is, would be a sophomore in college or a junior in college? Yeah, sophomore in college. I know we all do this because we've been friends forever. But you know, you look around and you go like, are we really the grownups now? Is that a thing? Who do we ask for help when we need it? Or like advice? Now people are asking us for advice and something about you saying our friendship is 20 years old. I was like, wait, we really are the grownups now. I know. I I always have to kind of pinch myself. Now I'm like a father too. I'm always like, oh, I have to be like the authority. But in my mind, I'm still like a kid. You know, even like being a director, you're just like, oh, you're the one that's supposed to have the answers. Like I'm not used to being having that, you know, I know what you mean. I still, in my mind, I'm still like 20 years old. Yeah. I, I feel like there's just a perpetual state of being 24 that lasts through, I guess, most of your adulthood. I think what it is when you, you know, when you're our age, you realize that like, oh, wait, everybody's just kind of bullshitting. Like nobody really has, <laughs> like, there is no authority figures. Like no one knows what's going on. <laughs> like no. when you're 20s, you're like, oh, the older people get it. They know what's going on. But then you become the older people. Like, oh, I'm just as clueless, clueless as ever. Yeah. You really realize everybody's just kind of faking it till they make yeah. it perhaps forever. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're old. Everybody knows it. There it um, is. Thank God we spent our whole 20s locked in a soundstage. So we have great skin. But none of that is the point of why we're here. The point of being here is to to talk about really all of the things that led to this amazing project that we yeah. got to do together. But I, I actually want to go not just to the beginning, you know, four years in the making of right. you getting Junction out into theaters. I actually want to go way back. Okay. Because like way back, because most people who will see that you're on the podcast this week will go, Oh, I know him from this, or I got introduced to him on that show or in that movie. But I like to go back to the beginning and, and, talk to all of my guests about who they were as kids, mm. because I think everyone always says hindsight's twenty twenty. It's really easy from wherever we are to look back and see how all the dots connect. And if we go back to you being a little kid, say like eight, nine years old in Omaha, yep. were you into performing or did you think you were going to be an athlete? Can oh. you see how that whole journey got you here or does it seem like another life? 
No, it well, yes, it does feel like another life. But um, and yes, I did think I was going to be an athlete, and no, <laughs> did not become an athlete. <laughs> but you know, I think I really got into um at like ten years, well, eight or nine. I just remember like running around Omaha, Nebraska, with my shoes off. I never wore shoes. I never wore really. Shoes. Yeah, I would just like run around and like playing creeks. I was like Huckleberry Finn or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was just like. So Midwest, and I just remember my imagination was huge. I love building forts and um, creating stories and making little, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to be like, I remember I wanted to be a baseball player and a mad scientist. That okay. was like, yeah, that was just, I think Back to the Future just came out and I was really into like Doc Brown or something. That um, sounds right. Yeah, and then, and then I started doing like local theater and and I realized at a very young age, like around 10, that, oh, if I'm an actor, I can do all those things. Mm. And so I, I, I'm one of those weirdos that like, I, I fell in love with it at a young age, acting and, and storytelling. And I've, I've kind of dedicated my whole existence in life. I found my purpose and I was like, that's it. I just narrowed in on it. And mm-hmm. I've never stopped. It's, I, I have such like a I've had an amazing life. I'm very grateful. And, but I do feel like I've had a very narrow uh, focus and point of view my entire life. Like it's all, mm. it's only through the filter of storytelling and being an artist. Um, like I never pursued anything but that. That's so cool. How, how did you wind up doing local theater so young? Did you ask your parents or was, did you have a friend getting into it? What was, what was the sort of bottleneck? All right, I'll tell you the, the origin story, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, my, my parents were, you know, like we're, we were running errands with my sister and I, my younger sister, and she was in ballet and she had an audition for the local nutcracker at the Omaha ballet at the Omaha conservatory, um, which they do every year. And I was with them and they were, uh, she was auditioning and then they came out and asked me if I wanted to audition. And I was like, well, I don't dance. I don't, you know. Ten. I don't wear shoes. Uh, <laughs> and um, they're like, "Oh, we need we need boys for the for the for the for the play. It'd be great, or for the uh, ballet." And so I like went in there. I just remember like doing cartwheels and like I had ADHD, so I was just like bouncing up the walls, doing whatever. Um, and I got the part and of Fritz, which is like the main kid. And I got to get off school for three weeks and tour and uh, perform and feel what it was like to be part of a troupe and I just loved it. I was like getting in wardrobe and I mean, I wasn't a great dancer, um, but I did love like the facade of like being backstage and then coming on stage. Um, That was really cool to me. And so I didn't, when I came back, I didn't really pursue ballet, um, but I started getting into like local community. There was a theater called Emmy Giffords theater, children's theater, which in Omaha, and I remember doing Oliver the play there and I just loved it. And then my parent, my dad got a new job um, and he moved the family to St. Louis um, from Omaha. So I was around 12 years old and I didn't know anybody really. And um, I thought, well, hey, you know, when I did plays, I would meet new people. And that that's a good way to socialize. And I love doing that. So I just kept doing it. And that's sort of I was just like a theater dork. Wow. <laughs> through high school and then i you know moved to new york when i was 18 to 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 get serious about it and what was that like i mean did going for college make it feel a little easier or did you through theater and touring and the company had you met 
agents? Did you know how to get a foot in the door or were you like, I'm just going to go figure it out? No, it's funny. I mean, my, I was so ambitious as a kid. Like I really wanted to do it. And I remember there was a talent scout that came through St. Louis and he, he did this workshop in New Jersey where he would take young actors and then he would, you would, you would learn from uh, acting coaches and teachers. And then you could, you would do a performance at the end of the, like the week or two weeks and and agents would be there uh, mm-hmm. as like a showcase. And I ended up doing this, this camp. And, uh, and I remember getting interest from an agent in New York. We, we performed on like an off Broadway. I was like 15 years old or something like that. I mean, performed in an off Broadway theater and there was some interest from some agents. And I told my parents, I'm like, Hey, you know, these agents want me to come to New York and like, try to audition for the summer. I really would like to do that. And they're like, why don't you just go to camp and be a kid? And then if you really want to do this, you can do it when you're 18. And so I'm at the time I was really bummed out and hurt by that. Mm-hmm. But looking back, I'm so grateful because, you know, I don't know. I just feel like the more life you can live in uh, before you become an actor, the better, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's such a hard business too. So I don't know. There's, there's, I think, they knew, I think they intuitively knew that, that like heartbreak was, was coming. So don't mm. bring it on so early because <laughs> this, yeah. this career is full of heartbreak and hardship as, as much as it's full of, you know, amazing opportunities. And, and we've been so fortunate to keep working in this business for so long, but you know, we've each, every actor has, has, has gotten their heart broken for sure. That's mm-hmm. part of the job. Yeah. I think that's one of those truths that's sort of um, hidden from public view People can look at careers and go, wow, you know, you've worked so consistently or you've done so well, you made these things. And you're like, yeah, I, I can count myself one of the lucky ones. And still most of my life and career is based on rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Even when you're successful, it's mostly rejection. So really it can, it can take its toll on you mentally for sure. And uh, Mm -hmm. living in LA that can, that can really, uh, cause you're always, it's really unhealthy to compare yourself to other people and you mm-hmm. can never it's easy to never feel like you're making it or good enough um there's always another step there's always another yeah. level and the, i think the key to happiness is just to try to get off that hamster wheel mentally and just try to pursue what's in front of you and do your best and not be in competition yeah. with anybody except yourself i think that's really wise and i think your parents had such a good instinct to say let's at least wait until you're a legal adult. Give yourself just a moment to be a kid. Cause once you're, once you grow up, you know, air quotes for folks at home, y- you never get it back. And it's cool to hear that your parents did that. Mine did the same. Yeah. When I, yeah, when I really fell in love with theater, you know, and I thought I wanted to be a doctor, I, you know, I, my big dream was to be a heart surgeon. And then I had an arts requirement at the end of middle school and I had to do a play. I was so pissed about it. I was like, this isn't for me. And, uh, and then I went, oh, wait, a play is just a book that's alive. Changed yeah. my whole worldview. And then I got so into it that by, I think, the end of my sophomore year, I was asking if I could start, you know, going out on casting calls. And my parents said, absolutely not. If you want to do this when you're 18, we'll have the conversation. And I'm really glad. I'm glad that I got to have a, a sweet, normal high school experience without all this pressure added to it because there's enough pressure. Southern California, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in LA, like, you know, Miracle Mile area. And then in junior high, 
I started going to school in Pasadena and that's where oh. I did junior high and high school. So it, it was nice to just, yeah, have a moment before the baptism by fire started. Yeah. So they're on the same wavelength. We'll be back in just a minute, but here's a word from our sponsors. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. 
tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what happens when you get to New York? Like, are you a wildly responsible student at NYU doing all your homework and going on auditions? Or did you just go crazy because you had moved to New York City from Omaha and yeah. you were like, hello, world. What, what was happening? I think it was more of that. I was always a little, <laughs> yeah, I, I like to get after it a little bit. And so, you know, <laughs> I got to New York City and there's no parents and, you know, there's no campus. You're basically just a kid running around New York City. That's yeah. you know, from the Midwest. That was like such a shock. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I I took on, you know, I definitely had a lot of fun. Um, but I, I was a pretty good student, I would say. I mean, I was focused on the acting stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in a conservatory type of environment three days a week like nine to five, you know, mm-hmm. acting class. Um, the undergrad program at NYU was fantastic. Um, but I was very ambitious and I started auditioning, right? I found an agent, started doing commercials, started doing like little guest stars. Like I got like a word on the Sopranos. I got killed on Law and Order. <laughs> um, you know, I got a movie, you know, a civil action. So I started getting on sets and I was like doing extra work. Um, so I could, I was like one of those kids who was like working and also going to school. Um, I didn't get a series or anything like that, but just like little enough to like learn what it's like to be on a set mm-hmm. and enough getting enough credit. So after I finished college, um, and I came out to LA, I had, I didn't, I didn't come to LA with nothing. I had like some, some New York credits, which was super helpful to get in. Um, even though I had one word on the Sopranos, they were like, Oh, Sopranos. I was like, yeah. Yeah, it was really like cool. On the resume, yeah. like, no, 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 if you watch it, if you blink, you'll miss me. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. So what made you make the move to LA? I just thought that I, I went and visited over a summer. Um, and I got like two jobs in the first week I was there. Remember, I got like the X-Files, which I got cut out of. But for some reason, I still get residuals. Thank you for the 30 cents. 30 wow. Checks I get now. Nothing like a 34 cent check. Ooh, yeah. boy. And then there was a show, uh, Boston Public. I got that. Okay. Um, remember that show on Fox back in the day? Yeah. I ended up doing that again as another character. Um, but uh, yeah, and then I went back to New York and I was like bartending and struggling. And I'm like, <laughs> I remember one day I was like living in this small apartment in, in the East Village on 7th between B and C. And, um, and like, we, I heard some water running and I opened my bedroom door and there was just like brown water falling from the ceiling and someone's, the neighbor above us, their toilet overflowed and just oh, no. lots of leak. And I was like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done with New York. I can't. <laughs> There's coming from the sky. Like I'm out. Yeah. You're like, congratulations, New York. You broke yeah, me. You beat me. Um, and then, yeah, I made the move to LA. 
Uh, and then, sh yeah, but it's oddly enough, like I, a few years later, I started working a lot in New York. And so I've mm -hmm. kind of been postal ever since, but yeah. yeah, that's always the interesting thing. You know, people have asked, oh, cause you grew up in LA. Were you in the business young? No, you, yeah. you know, you grew up in LA. You must've been working there all the time. No, nothing shoots here. Yeah, I know. You, we go everywhere, but here. And I so know. it's kind of interesting to, to realize that this is sort of the heart of it all, but it actually takes place essentially everywhere but Los Angeles. Yeah, I've been fortunate. I've actually gotten a few jobs out there, which I've been lucky, you know. Um, oh. Yeah, it's the best. When you get an L.A. or New York job, I'm like, yes. Oh, I'm my Chicago God. Now, which isn't so bad. Well, Chicago has the best food. That's oh a good God. place. That's a good place to shoot because you can go out and just eat delicious things all the time. Except if you have to do a scene with your shirt off, which I do coming up. And oh, like, yeah. Oh, I thought I was aging into a character actor. I got to do this again. <laughs> You're like, oh, but I've been eating deep dish every yeah. night this week. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not ideal. Okay, so talk about, we, we, we're going to talk about our project, but yeah. we have to give the people what I know they want to know. Okay. okay. Talk about where One Tree Hill fit into your life, because that's okay. where we met i mean you you turned jake jagelski into such an iconic character we've talked about this a lot on drama queens everybody knows by the way including your wife who i love so much and who's such a good sport when we're like oh yeah you know that like everyone was in love with your husband and we all cried when he left and she's like i know he's the best jamie's the coolest he still hasn't seen what you though i mean that's okay who who has like, who that's with any of us has seen it? Jeffrey's never seen it. Mm -hmm. Hillary teases him all the time. I I don't know. I don't know what it would be like to be in a relationship with someone who is like, oh, yeah, I was a huge fan of that show. Yeah, it might man. be weird. Yeah. <laughs> it might be weird. Yeah. Uh, all right. So how did it come about? Well, um, I was in L.A. After, after New York, and I was like, you know, bartending, catering, you know, struggling. Yeah. Couple of jobs here and there until I got this one movie for Paramount called The Perfect Score, yeah. um, and uh, you know, starring Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson, Erica Christensen, Leonardo DiCaprio. Casual, Robbins. totally yeah, was, casual it cast. It was a huge. It that job really did. I thought it was going to change my life even more. Like I thought I would never have to audition again. I was so ready, <laughs> but it did actually change my life because um, it was my first studio movie, like like a lead in like a lead role. And yeah. um, and then the writer of that uh, wrote One Tree Hill, and also the the director uh, pr was uh, pr the producer of One Tree Hill. So they sort of. Uh, I think they wrote this character. I, we had we we really got on, and they wrote this character, Jake Chigelski, Um, And they were like, "Hey, you you want to come in and kind of recur?" And this is the. I was like, "Wow, yeah, this is great." I mean, I think I did like a like a faux audition, but like it, I think they were setting it up for me. You know what I mean? They were like, Aww. "So I think I did. I think I did read, uh, but kind of knowing that like it's mine to lose, which is almost more pressure. I hate when that happens. It's like right. they're like, oh, you got it. Just audition. You're like, okay. And then how many, I've done it this so many times where I've just blown it because. Because <laughs> auditioning is terrifying and nerve wracking and I don't know why we do it. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah. And then I ended up doing One Tree Hill and they wrote this great character, like the most endearing character of all time, you know, mm -hmm. a single father in high school who's, you know, doesn't he, he has a zen like buddhist quality to him um mm -hmm. 
just really well written character. I mean, honestly, people give me the credit, but I'm like, I did. I just showed up and said the lines and was the guy. You know, I didn't. I didn't write it. Um, so it was. Uh, it was. It was almost impossible to not root for Jake Tegelski. Um, yeah. So it was like it was such a. It was great, and I. I don't think any of us knew that this show was going to be as iconic as as it is no. still to this day. It's crazy. It's the like definitely the most. Uh, the biggest thing I've ever been a part of that's like lasted the test of time. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's pretty Worldwide. wild because we really didn't. We didn't have a clue. I think when I think back, what really sticks out to me is what great chemistry we all had. Yeah. Like, like it felt like there was some magic in the air whenever we were all together. And, you know, earlier today when when we were doing some of the prep for the premiere of our movie this week, uh, I remember I was saying to you and, and Jamie that it was always really interesting to us because, you know, we started in July. Hillary and I both have our birthdays in July. She and I had just turned 21 a week apart. Yeah. And we were still like buzzing with excitement that we could actually like walk right into bars. We didn't need to figure out how to sneak into comedy shows or whatever. And you were so cool. You were just like, yeah, come on, guys. You were kind of leading us around, showing us how to do things. And you said it today. You were like, you were 21. I was only 24. And my yeah. brain kind of broke because you really did. Like, I know we were all friends. We've always felt like the same age. But you had this very stoic sort of coolness to you that we all were like, Brian knows what he's doing. Like, we sh if we don't know what to do about something, we should probably ask Brian. Like, he'll have the answer. <laughs> And it's so crazy to me that you didn't feel that way. Uh, I didn't feel that way because I, I only, <laughs> I had a, some experience, like I, we just went over, like I had a couple things out of my belt, but I was never a series regular like you were. And I mean, I did like one big movie and like, it wasn't even that big. It didn't do that well. <laughs> um, so it's just like, I, it's just funny that you thought of me as that way. And I just, I felt like just a kid, but when you're 24, there's a big, in 21, there's a big, that feels like a big age difference at that time. Now, not yeah. a big difference. But at that time, yeah, I could see how yeah. you look up somebody's 24. Yeah. Well, now we just all feel like the same age, but it yeah. is. You, you sort of go like, oh, you've really been doing this for a while. And, you know, you, you were coming off that movie. And for me, I think, you know, I'd done projects and some indie movies and some TV stuff. I think the longest arc I'd had on a show was on Nip Tuck. But oh, this was right. my... Yeah, like this was my first series regular job. And so I was just looking around being like, okay, just do what everybody else does. Pretend you know stuff. And I think I got a little bit of a pass being from LA. People mm. assumed I knew things. Right. And meanwhile, I was sitting there like, guys, three years ago, like I was in all girls school wearing a uniform. I don't know anything about anything. I do remember like it happening very fast. Like the success of the show. I remember like, yeah it was only a few months like we started shooting and then we aired and then all of a sudden like we're doing trl and i was like oh this is this is happening like this is yeah. a, like a phenomenon that's like actually connecting with an audience and I, it happened quick right yeah it happened really really fast yeah. especially because our show so we started filming in july for our friends listening at home our show was supposed to be a mid-season premiere that january and one of their shows wasn't working and they canned it and they put us on in September. Oh, so we only had like an episode or two in the, yeah. yeah. 
So we got thrown on the air really fast. And then the show took off. And by the time we went to TRL, like the folks at MTV were like, we had to hire extra security. We haven't had a crowd this big since Eminem came. And we were all like, what? Eminem? Us? Like, we had no idea what was happening because we were all just, you know, in Wilmington, like getting peel and eat shrimp after work. We had no clue what was happening out in the larger from my World. point of view, like I wasn't a series regular. I was a yeah. guest star. I was a recurring. That's so weird. So like I was like, I'm going to TRL. Like, <laughs> like I, I'm not even like you guys were the. I didn't, wasn't. I was getting paid nothing. Like I was just like, bro. We were all getting paid nothing. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, more than me. And I didn't even know if I was going to be the next episode. I was dying to be a regular. I remember I was like, yeah. oh man, maybe they'll make me a regular. Um, and I and they're like the. The writers were like, ah, oh, just wait, you know, it's it's looking good, but we don't know, we don't know. And I was like, I, I was still auditioning for other things and meeting for other yeah. things. I remember I got that other job uh, on scripted. Oh, yeah, you mean that George Clooney show, Casual? Gosh. Well, you can't even find that show now. Well, um, which is weird. It's like evaporated into the ether, but um, it was one of the coolest things I've ever worked on, for sure. It was a, a HBO show called Unscripted that George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh and Grant Hesloff created. And uh, it was about actors making it in Hollywood. It was like a faux reality show where like I was pretending I was playing myself, but it was like a version of myself and yeah. we were, like, the whole thing. But I remember like HBO was like, we want to make you a regular. Uh, we want to, we want to do this series and we're going to make you regular. And then as soon as like the WB at the time heard that, they're like, Oh, we want, we want to make Brian a regular. I was like, too late. <laughs> I got this show. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. I came back and we, you know, up for yeah. year, you know, well, you, that was one of the things that was so much fun is every time you had some time in between gigs or things, you would come back. And, you know, I remember when you went and did Prime. And if you haven't seen Prime, like rom-com fans, what are you doing? It's such a good movie. It's Brian and Uma Thurman and Meryl Streep. Like, yeah, Meryl, that, that hello. What an insane thing. And we were just like, our friend is a movie star. And then you would still come back and hang. And it was really special, I think, to all of us that, you know, you always made time where you could for the show. And I know that it really did create such a really special, like lasting effect for all the fans too. Well, I loved you guys. I love the character and I, I just loved working yeah. on it. It was, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to do it until I actually couldn't, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, I felt like, you know, I was on Montreal for three seasons and I felt like, yeah, maybe Jake could have gone on and done more, but I felt like it was a, a really good arc. I feel like I did, uh, yeah. you know, I felt like his story was told and it was, and it was good. I mean, that show has like so many different iterations, like so many mm -hmm. different cast members coming in and out. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. And then I, you know, I went off to do other things, but I was, I tried to make time and come back when I could. Um, that was just a crazy time in my life. Like there was so much coming at me and it mm -hmm. just came to a point where like it wasn't feasible anymore. Yeah. Um and I also felt like the story was told like that. Yeah, I get that. When you yeah. really feel like something has, has come to the end of its track. It, yeah. It's nice yeah. to go out on a high note and I'm sure your knees thanked you that you didn't have to play basketball for 18 hours a day in Converse anymore. Yeah. I, they put me in Converse all-stars. My feet yeah. were me. I remember you like, we would have days in the gym where by the end of it, you were just hobbling. And I was like, we are too young for you to be in this much pain. Somebody get this man some insoles. <laughs> you have a good memory yeah that was uh that was brutal you <laughs> that was being on a real sports team yeah 
<laughs> well, it was fun though because you you're a good basketball player. James was such a good basketball player. Obviously, so many of the guys who came in like Narion and all the boys were were really good. Like they yeah. really did play. And there were days I remember in the gym, like watching you all from the sidelines, being like, "God, they really are having fun." And it was oh, sweet to watch because I think yeah. that energy was palpable on screen. We love those days because we would just get to play ball. And then I, and we play ball all the time outside of shooting too. Yeah. It was great. I have a yeah. lot of fond memories of that show. It's um, Like I said, I've been all over the world. I've done a lot of different things, but that's the one job that like, you know, I think people know me for in mm-hmm. the most. And um, mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for it. And uh, I've just, it's so hard in this, this career to like, do anything that connects with an audience and uh, and if that continues to connect with generations of audiences. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just really grateful for the, the opportunity to play that character. I love it. And it led us to Junction. I was going to say, like, yeah. how, how do we tell folks what the fast forward looks like? Because for the friends... Well, you went off and became a big TV star. You're very sweet. And a movie star. We're all just out here trying to do things we love yeah yeah very successful didn't return my calls for years oh you wish and now a word from our sponsors who make this show possible bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is actually really interesting, isn't it? Like, that we we all went off and did so much work, but we always stayed connected. And do you think that being on sets like you were so young, like going and working with producers of the Soderbergh level, like watching Meryl on set, were you, do you really feel like you were kind of preparing yourself to write and direct maybe even subconsciously or, or was it like something, do you remember when consciously you decided that that was something you wanted to pursue? You know, it's funny. Um, I don't remember consciously, um, but I, I remember consciously like being a sponge on at, you know, whenever I'm, whenever I'm on a set, I'm always like every day I have two goals. Like what can I learn? And mm. how can I be surprised? And how can I surprise myself? You know, mm. and that goes every day on a set. You know, I, I'm always looking to learn. I'm always looking to surprise myself. Um, and I think that that what keeps me in the quest of being curious and um, and listening. And um, and so I didn't know that I wanted to write, but I think you know, at, when I went to NYU, they didn't teach us to write our own stuff. We were just training to be actors and to interpret the writer's material mm-hmm. and, and be vessels for the script. And that's it. And just, you know, do that. And it, I think it's like five years younger than me, like the Donald Glovers, the Mindy Kalings, you know, uh, Issa Rae is like all these people like, are the Aziz Ansari, they all like started making their own stuff. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, that never occurred to me. You know, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't a thought. Like, I thought I was just in this lane, you know, and mm-hmm. I had to, 
hyper focus on being an actor. So, um, you know, the truth is there's a lot of ups and downs in a career and I was at a down point and I wasn't getting the, the roles that I wanted. And um, I was working, but not being challenged, I would say. And mm. I had to dig deeper. And um, and I was, I don't know, this, this idea came to me for Junction because, um, you know, I went in for routine surgery a few years ago and I was prescribed Oxycontin and I became somewhat hooked. I want to make it very clear that I'm not an addict and I'm an ally, but, uh, I, mm. I just, but I, 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 um, I did have a, like a, a little scary time there, you know, that I was like, Oh, this could go either way, you know? And mm. I, there's a couple months I just don't remember. And, um, and, uh, and so I was, was wanted to, I wanted to kind of understand the crisis, the opioid crisis and, and talk about that in a film. How do I do that? So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, that's what started inspiring me to write. I think it was during, during COVID. Um, I, I and, uh, yeah, I just was like really had time and I just want to put all my energy into it and, um, I enjoyed it. And then, my, anyway, it's yeah. funny. I told my mom, you know, that I'm writing. She's like, you know, you started as a writer. It's like, what? She's like, well, you know, when you're a kid, you used to write all those short stories and, and I was like, Oh yeah, I guess I did when I was a kid. And I, you know, I wrote music and I was always yeah. writing, you know, I just didn't really think of myself as a writer. Um, but yeah, I, I forget the question. <laughs> no, I, I, the question was just how, how did you decide to do this and, you know, with this oh. project and to become a writer and a director. And I think it's really interesting because it kind of goes back to my first question, right? Like, who were you when you were little? Mm. You do, in hindsight, see that parts of yourself have always been there, that you've always been expressing this part of your creativity. And, you know, now you've got a movie that you wrote, directed, and starred in coming out. Hello? Hello. It's crazy. I mean, you just, I guess, being an actor for so long, I love it, and I continue to love it. I'm on a show right now, just as an actor, and I'm very grateful. And I and I I, I still truly love the craft of acting, and um, I'm very dedicated to it. But it is limiting in the sense of storytelling. Like you can only do use your body and voice and interpret these lines. And mm-hmm. I just felt like I had other skills to tell a story, mm-hmm. and I wanted to put them to the test. And um, and I thought that uh, this is the story I want to tell. And, um, mm. and I, there's just so many tools, like working with actors, working with an editor, working with the DP. It's like, mm-hmm. it's so fun. And I, I, I wanted to do set out to direct to see if I really could do it. Cause I was like, maybe I could do this. Maybe, I don't know. I, there's only one way to know. You just got to bapti- baptism through fire and just throw yourself into it. Um, yeah. And uh, I just wouldn't take no for an answer. Like I just kept, People tried to get me off the project, other producers I brought it to, like, maybe if you're not directing it, we can get it made because you're a first timer and nobody cares, nobody knows, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, no, I think I can do this. I think I, I, I think I want to, I do want to do this. I want to do this. I'm going to do mm-hmm. this. And I just like kept that focus and, you know, eventually found the money and, you know, uh, which was huge and that, that, that validated the project. And then, yeah. you know, came on board and all you know so many great actors came on board and uh, here we go you know um yeah it's yeah. so exciting and you cool. put you put such a beautiful cast together you wrote a really beautiful script you know 
when you first called me and said, hey, I would love it if you'd come and work on this and, you know, play my character's ex-wife and this is what it's about. I was like, yes. And you were like, well, read it. And I was like, I'm going to read it, obviously. But like, the answer is yes. Let's go do this movie. And it's just true, man. I think, I think the people who know you and love you, not only, you know, do we love who you are as a person, but like, we know your taste level and you, you are a really insightful, really talented human. And I knew that this was going to be really special. And one of the things I really appreciated about it when I sat down to read the script for the first time was the way that you humanized addiction through your character. You know, this, as you said, you experienced this guy had a routine shoulder surgery. And, you know, when you're getting your arm opened up or your back opened up, these medications can really make the difference for people being able to recover and still be in their lives, to not be so immobilized by pain. And yet there's like that razor's edge of this medication can help save your life after something potentially catastrophic happens. And it can also take your life. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm really curious, you know, you talk about how you didn't wind up in full addiction, but you wound up realizing that this, this medication was in you in a way it was making it was making you sick. Mm-hmm. How do you think you identified the difference? How do you think you knew to make a change before it had gone too far? Because I, I asked the question really because this this is a crisis. This is an epidemic around the country. And I would imagine there's people listening today who have either been through this or have family going through this and are probably going, but yeah, how do I know when to say something? Or how do I know when to ask for help? So Mm. being as in tune with your body and your mind as you have to be to be a performer, how did you know when you were on the kind of dangerous side of that edge? Um, Well, my pill intake would just keep going up Mm because it would work, you know, like started one, three, five, ten, you know, it's just like you keep popping them sip a couple beers help that hope that kicks in you know like mm. and then you just then all of a sudden it's like four or five months go by and you're like where am i what's going on what's happening and then and they just keep prescribing them to you until they didn't ah and 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 uh, you're i basically was cut off and i you know it's not that hard to go and find the, the pills um mm. but you know i don't want to say that like I'm stronger than, you know, people who are addicted because I'm not because I, I was addicted. Um, but I just didn't. Uh, and it does. The thing that people don't understand is that, like, when you're on taking those those many opioids, it really does uh, complicate and, and compromise your your frontal cortex. So your decision. Mm-hmm. That's why you're like, why would you ever do something like that? It's because they're not thinking. Well, yeah, you're like, it's not me who did it. Yeah. It was a diminished me. It's yeah, a diminished exactly. person from yeah. the side effects your decision making is it process is compromised so yeah I, I, I could have gone to the streets found it um but i am a very i don't know i guess i'm lucky that i'm a very headstrong person and i i mean the same thing i used to smoke cigarettes and um and i just didn't like having that i needed it for when i was happy when you needed it when i was sad and, mm. and it was the same thing like i just I don't like having something over me. 
you know, yeah. it, that really, it kind of, uh, I'm, not, I'm not good with authority. I don't like people telling me what to do. I don't like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I think it, there's something like there's a little bit of a fighter in me that wanted to just like fight that. And it was hard getting off those pills. I was sick, mm-hmm. very sick, um, for a few days and that's not a good feeling. And I understand why people don't want to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you're just physically, you know, you're sweating, you're feverish, you're like, mm. it's like, the, it's like the worst flu. Um, and, uh, it's, you're nauseous, you're throwing up. It's like, it's not a good feeling and you'll do anything to not feel that way. And that's why mm-hmm. people go to the streets and, you know, find alternatives, but I don't know, I guess I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm lucky I didn't get too far in too deep. I got, I had a brush with it, you know, a, yeah. a scare, not to scare me, um, but not enough a full-blown addiction gratefully yeah. uh because i've lost friends and i know people that have passed and um it's a really scary thing so so yeah that's that was my personal experience with it but i'm i'm very i'm one of the fortunate ones yeah did that did that sort of full picture experience knowing that perhaps it had gone another month you would have been so sick that you might not have been able to stop knowing that there's folks who you've known and loved who aren't around anymore because of this. You know, the, I would imagine the influx of the news where every day there's more stories and every day there's more horrible things happening. And, you know, we're watching the pharmaceutical lawsuits and we're hearing about the death rates around the country. How, how did all of that make you decide, okay, I'm going to write about this. Not just, I've been through this. I could advocate right. for a charity. I could go and speak to students, but like, I want to make something about this. I want to get this story out of me. What was think, that? Yeah. I think at the time, you know, it takes a long time for these films to independent films to get made. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I wrote this four years ago, um, <laughs> you know, it took, it took a long time to get it made and get the funding and get, get to get it out there. But um, you know, at the time there were no stories being told about it. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what, uh, another thing that was pissing me off. And, you know, since then we've been very fortunate. I, I, I am, I'm, I'm so happy that other stories are being told about this, like dope sick, I think is Danny strong did an amazing job on that Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Um, but I just wanted to encapsulate, it was, it was one personally, it was a way for me to get my head around this sort of overwhelming crisis and, and try to understand it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I, I would cold call journalists who were understood, understood what was going on with like the Sacklers and, and Purdue Pharma. And, you know, I was writing this while the story was changing, um, you know, before they, they were, uh, uh, found guilty, but, um, and they're still trying to fight it through bankruptcy courts, but, uh, um, but it, it was an evolving story, and I, I I'm not an expert, so I sought out the experts to 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 help me understand it. And um, I don't know, I just wanted to paint. I didn't want to just do attic porn and just show like one because we've seen those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't tell the story without telling that part of it. Um, yeah. But I also wanted to show like all the cogs in the wheel, um, mm-hmm. in the net, in the big, in the in the ship in this ship that is is sinking. Um, I just thought you had to tell three different points of view to, to, to mm. kind of encapsulate all of that. And it was my way to bring awareness to the, to the crisis that at the time mm-hmm. people weren't speaking about to bring hu- humanity to, mm-hmm. to it. And I, I didn't want to do 
like like I mentioned dope sick because I think it's great but we didn't have the luxury of you know seven eight hours to tell the story we had right. 90 minutes so right. I, I didn't do the exposition of this is now the opioid crisis if you want to know how the opioid crisis started don't watch this movie this is not like an educational <laughs> film right I yeah. try to make a character film about seemingly good people who get caught up in this mm-hmm. this 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 evil machine and now a word from our sponsors bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents she's got all of these maseratis and bentley's all in the driveway is it like a mansion yes it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's one of the things I love about the movie. You know, you structure this all in one day. And we see these three storylines, you know, these three verticals, if you will, and each lead of their own storyline. You know, Ashley's character, Dr. Davis, this doctor who runs a pain clinic, which is, is it a pill mill? Is it not? Who is she? Why is she so motivated? What's going on with her kids? What's happening with her finances? We see, you know, the the patriarch of a big pharmaceutical family whose company is being sued um, over their distribution of opioids. And we see your character, Michael, this and your character, Allison. Yeah. You know, this this man who runs a restaurant and has a beautiful life. And but everything sideways, the restaurant is at risk. And his wife is now his ex-wife. That's me for our friends at home. You know, the, the relationship he has with his child is strained. And what I love so much about what you put into our storyline is that there's obvious pain there. Obviously, this couple has been affected by this addiction and who knows whatever else. But we vacillate between fighting and laughing. Mm-hmm. You see mm-hmm. love between these people. You see Across all these three storylines, you see who these people are. You see who loves them each. You see who they go home to. You see that anybody who we've made into a statistic or a villain or a victim is a whole person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I learned. I just think it was a really, really meaningful way to show people how this happens and who it affects and what the ripple effects of this crisis are. And even though it's a movie about a heavy subject, there is love and there is joy. And there are these things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I was, I didn't want this to be a tough watch all the way through. Like Mm -hmm. we know it's a, it's, it's, we know what we're getting into what the subject matter is and it's inevitable. Like this is not going to be a comedy, Um, (laughs) but uh, you know, so I think to be true to the subject matter, you have to be, you know, it had, it had to be dramatic, but, mm-hmm. you know, in saying that I didn't want to make it hard on the audience, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I wanted to like you to fall in love with these people and enjoy yes. being in a room with them and knowing them. And um, yeah, like I, you said it beautifully, like our relationship between Michael and Allison, what I love about it is like, they are divorced, but they love each other. Mm-hmm. They love each other so much. And I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen that, that, I mean, I'm sure that, that exists, but I, yeah. I, I haven't seen a lot of that maybe. And, mm-hmm. 
I thought that was really fun to play with. And there was room for comedy and we're joking around even in the lowest of the lows. Mm -hmm. There's still jokes being cracked. And um, that's real. That's humanity, you know? And um, I I didn't, I I just think if you want to be real and you want to portray an accurate, uh, uh, you know, characterization of these, of these people, like you can't paint them as black or white. It's gray. And sometimes they, do bad things and they mean well and sometimes mm-hmm. they you know it, it, it's just complicated they all have their different reasons even even lawrence who's that the so the quote-unquote you know uh pa- evil patriarch you know he he's trying to protect his family he's trying to protect his family's legacy he wants you know he's got his own reasons for doing this he's got his mm-hmm. own ambitions and dreams too and those are human beings and we're yeah. all complicated and up and 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 it's not black and white and i just i'm more drawn to that that's what I. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately what I was most interested in writing about. Yes, it takes place within the opio in in the world of the opioid crisis, but really, it's like these characters, these nuances that I was I was fascinated by, and then I wanted mm-hmm. to explore. Yeah, yeah, and I love it. And it really, it was so special to finally get to see the movie because, you know, did you watch it last night? Did you get a chance? Yeah. Well, I no, I watched it. I watched it at home on Saturday. I was like, I don't want to see it with an audience for the first time. Um, But it's just, it's really beautiful. And it was really interesting too, you know, because for me being in it, I love when I'm in something and and I get swept up in it and forget that I'm in it. Yeah. That's always really special. And then I get to have this dual experience where, I get to watch it technically and see what what takes and what shots wound up in it. And I just get to be an audience member. And I and I had both of those things. And it flashed me back, you know, when we first come on screen together where I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how fast we shot this movie. Oh, my God. 17 days, 17 days, a whole movie in 17 days. So for our friends at home, you know, Brian's talking about the fact that it took four years to get this movie made from top to bottom. And yet we had to shoot it in 17 days. How did you get your head around starring in a movie, having written it and directing for the first time? Because you didn't have the luxury of a three month shoot to do two scenes a day. We were jamming through stuff. How did you feel prepared for that how did you keep your head screwed on well hiring actors like yourself who you didn't have to worry about like i don't like like (laughs) if i didn't give you one note i still know you would have been great you know what i mean like just knowing you could bring it and i did it it's just such a took such a relief i mean of course Mm -hmm. i like tried to you know in preparation we talked a lot about the characters and um and you know you just in, in, in prep, you trust with your crew and, and, and your producers and, and your actors. And then with, with the scenes that I'm in with you, like I wasn't directing those scenes. I was just in those scenes as an actor with you, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't remember if I gave you a lot of direction on the days when we were working together. Because I feel like I was just kind of in the moment with you, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we tried different things, but um, I don't know if you might remember more because everything was such a blur. But I, I feel like I just kind of like, let it go and just be, was an actor because I didn't want to be judging you while I'm doing the scene with you. Yeah. And it must be hard for you as an actress or, or different. I don't know if you've worked with actors who have been directors before. I've never done that. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess when, with Mindy Kaling, she was like the writer and I would work with her. That was different. She wasn't directing though. Um, 
but yeah, so I, I wonder how that was for you as an actor. I, I will say, I think, especially when you're, you're kind of guerrilla shooting like we were, where everything's just so fast. Yeah. It was really nice that we have such a history and a familiarity and a shorthand together because it's much easier for me to sort of take the normal pressures of the first day on set and throw those away with a trusted friend. Like Mm -hmm. when, when you have 20 years of um, fill in the blank chemistry, intimacy, knowledge, you know, language inside jokes with people, it, it changes your comfort level. And so it was kind of cool. I think that we were just like, we have no time. We've done the thing. We've done the calls and the zooms. We've got pages of notes in our scripts and let's just do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I think about our last day of shooting, when we finished in the gym and the kids had to be wrapped because they have their schedules. And then we went and did our whole, you know, gallery shoot in the back room. And then it was like, we got two hours. What can we shoot? Let's just, let's just improv a scene. Let's go. That was awesome. And, and it was it. so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just like, you were so great. And I was like, we have you, we've got two hours. What can we do? Like, yeah. let's just, let's use you. Like in that, mm-hmm. that's in the movie. There's nothing that we shot. There's not a scene that we, that was scrapped in this movie. We, yeah. um, I didn't have a second to do overtime, you know, mm-hmm. like it was so tight. Like some of these shots I only had one take to do it, you know, um, yeah. it was a really tight, tight shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a miracle that it came together <laughs> the way it did. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just like having actors like yourself who are just so good. And I remember you came up with, and also like, I, I really tried to not have an ego because I, mm-hmm. how could I have an ego as a first time director? Like that's ridiculous. I've never done this before. Um, I was confident in the story in telling the story, but I wasn't confident, overly confident and pretending to know things I didn't know. And mm. my, my my philosophy was best idea wins. And mm. I remember you had a line pitch that is in the movie that you came up with that I think, and I don't, I, I just thought it was like a throwback to a line that I said. Um, I, I don't want to spoil it, but it's just like, <laughs> it, it's in the movie and it's a really great moment. And, you know, I, that's all you, you know? And mm. I, I mean, I guess I credit myself for like letting it happen, but like, that's yeah. all you, you know? I mean, you brought it. But, well, thank you. That's the thing, though. It's when you collaborate well with people, and to your point, when everybody shows up and checks their ego and is just ready to go, like, it's so refreshing. That's why you can, if you have an extra hour on a day, say, hey, let's throw three people in a car and go make it up as we go along. Yeah. You know, that's what I think I love about independent films the most is that like nobody's showing up on an independent movie to pay the mortgage. We're showing up because we believe in the project. Yeah. And it does give you, it's like Goonies energy where you're like, we're going on an adventure and whatever happens, we're in it together. And it's really special. Everybody has to be on that. Cause like, and the crew included, like, it's yeah. like we want to roll up our sleeves and just like, this is going to be tough and no one's getting rich. And we're <laughs> just, everybody get on the same page of like wanting to tell the story. And how fun is this? How fun yeah. is this that we get to make movies? Yeah. And, it's hard to get everybody on that page when it's like you're doing long days and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like no one's getting paid. And, but, uh, you know, it, I don't know. I, I, I love making independent films. I love it Me because too. I've been on like huge budget movies and I just feel like nothing gets done. And you're making a movie by like committee as opposed to like independent films where it's like a person's vision and you just get in line with that. And, and mm-hmm. like 
don't have the luxury of time to screw it up. You just have to, it keeps you, there's an energy to it that mm. keeps you on your toes and it's exciting. And I feel like that translates on camera and through, yeah. you know, I don't know. I love it. I love yeah. It. That's truly where my heart lies. It's I, I love that so much. How was it for you? I mean, not only were you juggling all of the biggest plates on set, but you were also making an entire movie in 17 days with two babies at home. <laughs> and and Jamie, yeah. you know, yeah. for our so, friends uh, at home, Chung. Jamie Chung, Brian's dreamboat of a wife. Like, you know, again, we talk about all of this a lot on on the other podcast, but when we watch the show and we all gush about you and then we're like, can you believe we like, we're so obsessed with Jamie. Like maybe we even love her more than we love him. Who could ever love anyone more than Brian? Like Hillary yeah. and I just giggle. Cause you know, we're obsessed with you guys. And, Best. and it was such a cool thing as your friend to like, every once in a while I had to sort of zoom out and go like, look at what he's doing. Look at what she's doing. Look at this character she's playing. That's yeah. so smart and thoughtful and different than something I've seen her do before. Mm -hmm. And like, hold on. They have two twin babies that they also are dealing with right now. Like, how did you do it? How did she do it? How did you do it as a couple? Yeah, that is she do a it? lot. You know, this, I got to just take a moment to thank my wife, Jamie Chung. Like this movie doesn't get made without her. Yeah. She knew how passionate I was in telling this story and how hard it was to make this movie. And mm -hmm. when I got my chance to do it, the kids were six months old, twins. Yeah. And uh, that's a tough age. And this shot in Rhode Island. And we lived in Los Angeles at the time. And she let me go off and chase my dreams and and held it down. And and and, and my and our family helped helped her out. And not only did she hold it down with the kids, which at a really hard age, um she came to Rhode Island <laughs> and knocked it out the park in, in yeah. her role. And so I don't know. I'm just I'm eternally grateful to her for 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 letting me do this movie. I mean, she really did allow me to do this movie. <laughs> she yeah. even said, "No, it's too hard," and I get it. But she didn't. She she supported me, and it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I I like that you use that word allowed because I know what you mean. It, you don't mean it like in the parental sense of like you're allowed to do this. You mean like she made the allowances. She made the space for you to take space for yourself to go and achieve yeah. something. And, and that, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked to each other through a lot of relationship drama in 20 years. And like, yeah. one of the things yeah. that makes me the happiest as your friend is to see this really symbiotic relationship you two have cultivated in your marriage, where you really can like flow and tip the scales to be this, total package as a team and yeah. to do that to to do that in the first year where you've gone from a team of two to a team of four is like an exponentially more impressive feat and you managed to do this really impressive thing while also both giving incredible performances in this movie Thank it's like you. layers on layers of impressive love but that's the other that's what goes back to like i you know, you ca I cast Jamie because I know she could kill it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
it wasn't just because she's my wife. It's because she's an amazing actress and she's my wife. But it's like she's an amazing actress. And that's a really hard role to come in there and be that endearing and that, you know, heartbreaking of a character and just doing it in, in a scene or two. It's like mm-hmm. it's not easy work to, for, for an actor to pull that off. And she did. And mm-hmm. I knew she I knew she had it in her um, the depth in her. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing that she yeah. lived. it's just it's it, truly grateful and not just jamie but like everybody who came to play michaela conlin ryan eggold's incredible in this he's movie. so good oh he's so good griffin dunn josh peck i mean uh yeah. eddie Kate thomas hill harper dash my hug i mean everybody is so good in this it's like yeah. i can't believe i got you all in the movie right because it's i've worked with first-time directors it's a risk I don't usually do it anymore, to be honest, because I'm like, eh, I don't have it in me, you know? <laughs> so um, I've had some good experiences. I've had some bad experiences. Yeah. But um, I, it's usually a turnoff if I hear first-time director. And so for, for you all to come on board and just uh, have the trust and faith in me to tell the story, it's uh, like I'm eternally grateful. So I owe you one. Oh, man, always. And now a word from our sponsors. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. 
tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How is it now? You know, you, we fast forward, I mean, almost two years from when we shot the movie. Yeah. Uh, how, how does this feel to be on the precipice of it coming out? And what is it like to now have toddlers? And like, is, <laughs> does it feel crazy? Like, like no time has passed, but so much time has passed? Oh, man. I know. It's like, I've been very busy uh since the kids were, have been born i mean jamie has been very awesome i'm in chicago right now shooting a series not with my family um and again she's holding it down and so i am just like we have waves like she like i've had waves where i've had to sit down for a few years you know right now mm -hmm. i'm standing up you know and then mm -hmm. i'll have to sit down and she'll stand up and it's just i think that's the beauty of being married to a, an actor uh and she's also not one of the crazy ones <laughs> <laughs> oh we sure do we're, we're all crazy but uh but you know i feel like she's pretty grounded for uh for, for being an actress and like yeah. i don't know i think she just knows it's my time to, to to do this and and so she's been very helpful and um and supportive uh but yeah it's it's been crazy watching the journey of junction i just keep pinching myself because it's been it's been no the whole way like no yeah. no one's gonna make a movie about the opioid crisis no no one's gonna make your first time director no you're acting in it too no you know you know it's like no 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 and then all of a sudden it's like we start winning festivals you know like whoa oh i wasn't crazy you know yeah. this is awesome you're you know, not like, crazy can see what i was seeing like it's not not about the awards or any of the accolades and stuff it's more just like validation of like oh yeah this story did need to be told and mm -hmm. and um you know i feel like it's connecting with an audience and um and it's so exciting. Like the press we're getting is is amazing, and I can't wait for the premiere on Wednesday. And yeah. we're gonna be doing the Today Show, and you know, it's like all this fun stuff. It's just like it's just, this is the fun part, you know. This is where yeah. you get to enjoy the ride of, and celebrate 
the hard work that we all put into it. So I'm really pinching myself. I'm savoring the moment because I know after this, it's like, I don't have another movie lined up to direct. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. I might be super depressed after, like in, in a week. But right now I'm like on cloud nine. Oh, I love that. I love that. And you know what feels cool too is you're going to get this moment. Like you, you're on the ride and it's all celebration from here. And then, you know, you get a beat with your family. You get a beat with your babies. And it's so cool as your friend to watch you in this phase because you're being celebrated in your career in the way that you deserve to be. And it's been so fun to watch you be a dad because you wanted to be a dad for such a long time. Is it, yeah. is it like everything you thought it would be and all the things you didn't know it would be? You know what? It's given me a, a purpose like that. I was always, I felt like I was waiting to be a father for a long time. You know, I played mm -hmm. with Jake Jagoski. <laughs> yeah. Played a lot of dads. Uh, yeah. I think I had dad vibes, you know, early on. But, I, you know, it took me a long time to become a father. And it's so weird. I feel like in a weird cosmic way, like I've just kind of cracked the code. You know, like mm -hmm. I feel super grounded. I feel like mm -hmm. I have an extreme purpose in my life. I love mm -hmm. my boys so much. I'll do anything for them and it's i do and i do it's like it's completely about them now uh, as much mm -hmm. as i have all this stuff going on but it's like my focus is you know as actors it's all about you can i get you coffee can i do that it's so nice to like live for something else for something more like i was bored i was how many concerts could i go to how many you know <laughs> vacations can i go on and you know i was just getting a little i just felt like selfish i was like living my life only for me and now i get to go like, I hate Disneyland, but I went to Disneyland and it was great to watch it through their eyes, you know? Yeah. And I get to see the whole world through their eyes and, and then light up when they play with a train set. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like I've been enlightened, in, 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 I guess is a way to put it. Like, and I feel mm -hmm. like the person I always wanted to be, I feel like instead of like trying to be that person, I feel like I am that person. I don't know if that makes sense. And like, yeah. even artistically, I feel like, a confidence that's like in a, in an emotional depth that I can really lock into now that mm. I was always hoping for. Now I have as an artist, it's, I, I do feel different. I do feel like I'm a different person. I love that. Yeah. Maybe in a way you're actually just more yourself. Like yeah. you've grown into the fullness of yourself. I'm still growing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, do, yeah, that's another way of putting it. Yeah. I do feel like I've grown into the fullness of us. Yeah. I love it. I don't know. It's I a, it's that. a lot, you know, I mean, having mm -hmm. twins at this age and working and doing it's just, it's a lot of hats and, um, but I'm not bored. Yeah. I'm not bored. I love it. I yeah. love it. All right. Yeah. Well, we're in this phase obviously where, you know, you said it, you're kind of floating, like we're at this end stage where it's all celebration for this project that's been so years in the making out, and right well that yeah but they're really great so far um you know and you're at this point where your boys are just getting big enough that they they can play with each other and you're in this groove yeah. but what whether it's looking back at this last year or perhaps looking forward into what's coming in the spring like what do you think right now in your life feels like your work in progress it's a good question. I like how you brought it around. Uh -huh. You know, all the way around to the title <laughs> of the project. <laughs> Last question. It uh, is. <laughs> um, 
I love the title of that work in progress. It's great. Cause I do, I, I don't feel like you ever make it. I always feel like you're, you're growing and learning. Um, I need to put junction like in a week. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I can't write or think of the next story or, I mean, in, even this show that I'm on, like I'm having trouble focusing and just like escaping into the role because I'm so still in junction world. And I yeah. just need to close the chapter on this and celebrate mm -hmm. it. And I think after, you know, we do our little press tour and we do the premiere, I, I'll be able to just kind of put it, put it down and really mm -hmm. like, I, I, I can't, it's hard for me. I'm trying to write something, but I'm having a lot of difficulty because I'm still a junction world. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I'm going to, and I'm going to allow, like I'm a big believer in the subconscious and just letting that, you know, it's nice to have deadlines, but it's also nice to just dream and just mm -hmm. walk around and have thoughts and like, listen and see where those thoughts take you. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, I mean, as much as I would love to have my next project set up and ready to go in, you know, in the summertime and, you know, keep that, keep that hamster wheel going. I don't have it. Honestly, I don't have the next project set up. So I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna dream and just, and just find it and know that this, I proved to myself that I can do it and I will do it again. Mm -hmm. It's just gonna be a lot harder because now I got two kids and they take, it's hard to write when you got two kids. Yeah. Nap time. That's what that's yeah, for. Nap time, exactly. Oh, well, I love it. And I about you can I ask you what my work in progress is. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's like, I think for me, there's been this coalescing of things that I know. I love to learn. I love yeah. research. I love social science data. I love to know why we function the way we function, what things everyone's going through that feel unique, but they're actually universal. What's finally started to click for me in a really interesting way is I feel like all the knowledge I've been collecting for a long time has gotten out of my head and into my heart. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't know that I wasn't like in my body. I didn't know that I was intellectualizing a lot rather than feeling a lot. Mm. And to be in a, in a phase where I'm like, oh my God, do other people feel like all the way to their toes? Has everyone just been living like this? This is crazy. You're coming into yourself. You're coming yeah. Yourself. Yeah. So I think, I think I did a lot of work and I think the, I think now I'm, I'm like in progress. I'm embodied and it's, it's wild. I think what it can take to get there in a life, but I'm immensely grateful for how present and whole everything feels right now. And for the first time in my life, I don't feel like I'm in a rush. Like I'm just yeah. moving slow Good. and, and happy. Yeah. And that feels nice. You seem happy. And you know, I'm just as your friend, I'm so proud of you and just the leader you've become mm -hmm. and, 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 and the woman you've become and just like how you've always been championing social justice causes and, and you're just such a, you're such a, you're a born leader. Like I look up to you as a friend. Like I'm like, you you're sweet you, soul, you know, and, 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 and your curiosity is, is what keeps you going. And, um, and I don't know, I'm just so proud of you. And Thanks, but I'm very grateful that, you know, 20 years ago, we got thrown on a basketball court together. You're a real one. Who would have thought? I know we did good, huh, it's kid? Done, all right. Hey, <laughs> done. still work in progress. I know. I know. I can't wait to see what we're doing in the next 20. 
I got to write it. You write it. Let's go. Okay. Let's do another one. Oh, still comedy now. Oh God, please. Let's do a rom-com. Actually, that's what I'm working on right now is a rom-com. I want to light it up. I'm like, done. Don't you was good and important, but I'm 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 ready to just not be so serious. You know what? I I want to say forever. Every time we make a movie, I want to be like, yeah, I said yes before I read it. So I say yes. Let's go make a rom com. I'm in. All right, that helps. That helps. Okay. Right with your voice in mind. Okay, great. Oh, buddy, I love you. I'm so proud of you. Thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me. This is so cool. Yeah, have a ball in Chicago. I can't wait to see you at the premiere. If you sneak some deep dish home on the plane for me. I won't say no to it. What's your favorite one out here? I mean, I feel like I always get in trouble, but like, I really, I was always a Lou Malnati's girl. So I got to try that next. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. After you're done with that and you don't feel the pressure, I'm just, I'm going to send you my restaurant list with my, like my star items on the menu at every single one. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I know of some things that are off menu at Oshaval that I can't talk about on the podcast, but I will text you. That's the best burger I've ever had. By the way. Ever. That's crazy. Ever. Wait, here in Chicago? There it is. Yeah. Oh, All right. I love it. Listen, All thank right, you buddy. for taking the time to talk to me. This is awesome. And thank you're you. fantastic in the movie. I can't wait for everybody to see your performance. I can't wait for everybody to see what you made. I'm honored to be a part of it. All right. Love yourself. Okay, honey. I love you. I'll see you soon. Bye. Mwah. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.